3: Fans, fans, uh, welcome to episode three of A Pot of Their Own. Um, I am joined by my lovely co-hosts once again. I am Allison McCabe. Hi, Maggie Wigan. Hi, I'm Maggie. <laughs> Hi, Linda Servic. <Cirovich. laughs> Hi, Allison. Um, we are we have a very special um, segment for you later on in the show um, where we have our very first guest. How exciting! Um, and we're going to talk to Meredith Wills. Uh, Astrophysicist, juiced baseball extraordinaire, baseball analyst, all of that jazz. Um, but first, we're going to talk about the Mets. Um, and <laughs> we're going to talk about how, uh, the pitching is bad and the offense is good, mostly focusing on the latter. Because if you want to hear about the Mets' terrible pitching, uh, you can listen to our show last week where we talked all about the Mets' terrible pitching. <laughs> Very little has
0: changed except
3: for the worse. Yeah, I was going to say, might have gotten
0: a shockingly worse if that's possible significantly worse worse.
3: really just like way way worse way worse as we record uh (laughs) steven mats did not get out of the first inning and did not record an out so even worse than jason vargas um shockingly enough um and that is the first and final update you will hear about that baseball game that's currently happening we have no interest in talking about that um but suffice it to say the pitching is bad um, they could use Kimbrel or Keichel or both. They probably won't do it and the yeah, world continues I think turning.
0: Tim Healy just tweeted out today. They're in the bottom five in the league right now. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's have, not pretty. They have the second worst staff ERA in the National Oof. So that's a big yikes. But the reason why they're still ten and six, about to be ten and seven, but ten and six, despite that, is that they're scoring over six runs a game, um, which is top five in baseball. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, our good friend, Big Pete. Um, and Linda did a fantastic piece on Pete Alonzo. Um, if you haven't read it yet, suggest you go to um and read about it. But Linda, do you want to give us the too long, didn't read on the Pete Alonzo situation?
0: Absolutely, because I love Big Pete. Um, pretty much he's hitting everything and hitting everything hard. Uh, that's <laughs> what we like to hear. Yeah, that's the long and short of it. But pretty much, like, he's in the top four and, like, um, a lot of pretty, like, the stat cast loves him. Um, he's, you know, even, I mean, JD Davis is above him in hard hit rate, but he's in the top 10 in hard hit rate. He's got, I think, the hardest ball hit in the majors this year um so over 60 percent of his balls that, that he does hit has been over 95 miles per hour plus um so and he hits a variety of pitches and there was that one anonymous scout before the season who thought he would struggle against the slider he's hitting breaking pitches he's hitting fastballs
4: um, he's taking he, really smart at bats too. Yes, mm-hmm. he's I love taking to his see.
0: Walks. Yes, uh, so he just seems like a smart hitter. Like he's for real. He's not just a masher. Like he's not just swinging for the fences every time. He's willing to take his walk. He's willing to you know go the opposite way too. Um, so it's hard for defenses to sh- shift against him. So he just seems like the complete package right now, and he makes. The whole lineup dangerous. Like, Cano and Nimmo have been hitting recently, but they started off the years uh, struggling. But with him hitting, you know, there wasn't as much pressure on them. They could work through their struggles, and the and the offense didn't suffer for it.
3: And having yeah, that it, big right-handed bat at the top of the lineup breaking up our uh, most dangerous hitters who are all, besides him, lefties is, you know, super important to lineup construction, too.
4: Yeah, and definitely, you know, looking at um, him coming up right after Nimmo, I, somebody tweeted earlier this week that Nimmo's going to score 100 runs like it's nothing. Uh, yeah. And it's totally true. Oh, yeah. especially, you know, credit where it's due. Nimmo, Nimmo, I have the numbers in front of me because it's just so crazy. In his the first eight games of the season, his slash line was 077, 250, 077. And that is just about, I mean, that that's a 327 OPS. It's just Oof. really brutal. <laughs> but in the second eight games, and that's not including, I think he's got a couple it's tonight. Um, actually, he probably doesn't. I'm just making that up. No, he doesn't have anything tonight because he's injured. Ha <laughs> ha! This is the worst. <laughs> um, Eat it, all <laughs> these, Pretending that I didn't just, like, think of that. Um in the eight games since he is hitting 393 500 821 so he has turned it around in a big way I think early reports are maybe that he's not dead yet so it could still could still be working for Nemo but really nice to see him getting his stuff together and the having the two of them in a lineup one two. I mean that's scary and that's and that's your one, too. And then you still have Conforto and McNeil and Cano to
0: contend with after them. So it's really
4: it's a nice, deep lineup.
0: And Ramos. Ramos has been quietly amazing this year. Like he hasn't shown the power yet. I think he hit his first home run tonight. Maybe. Yes. So the power has been lacking, but you haven't really needed it. Like he's been amazing so far, especially considering what they've gotten out of their catchers. Mm, for a while now, I definitely
4: want to see him elevating a little bit more. Yes, yeah, he's been hit his that. his ground ball rates not where you want it, especially given the offensive environment that we're in right now. That Meredith will tell us all about in the bottom half of the show. But, but yes, it's it's definitely he's he's a real factor at the plate.
0: Yeah, and again, a right-handed bat, yeah. a right-handed threat. Like he does, he hasn't shown the power yet, but we know it's there.
3: Yeah, I, we should definitely, um, like Maggie alluded to, keep an eye on his Bapip though, because he's running a quite unsustainable Bapip right now because he's hitting everything hard, but on the ground. Um, and you know, he's, and I'm not saying that that's not a purposeful approach. He's definitely doing it in part on purpose because he's trying to drive the ball the other way. Um, and Mm. that's part of the Chili Davis school of hitting, um, that the Mets seem to have adapted well to so far. Um, In RBI situations, Ramos is definitely looking to find the hole the other way, and he's done that successfully. But, you know... It's it's not a sustainable ground ball rate. It's not a sustainable BAPIP, especially for someone as slow as he is. You can New. run a BAPIP that's decently high if you're Brandon Nimmo or Ahmed Rosario, but you can't run a BAPIP that high if you're Wilson Ramos and make it down the base pa- uh, get, make it down the first baseline slower than anyone I have ever seen, including Wilmer Flores. So, I think um, he's one of is- the
0: slowest in the league. I think somebody repeated that that he is down towards the bottom in foot speed which is not surprising no right
4: and it's just and the thing is you want to see the power from him because he can give you the power like you you want like he's got that capacity so it'll be really nice to see that shortly become a a part of the game
3: yeah and it's it's amazing that we haven't needed Wilson Ramos's power so far. We haven't needed Robinson Cano to tear the cover off the ball because the offense is clicking on all cylinders. And even their role players, like J.D. Davis... Um, is hitting fantastically well, and it's almost hard to keep him out of the lineup, especially against left-handed pitching. And this is all becoming a huge conundrum because, um, as we discussed prior to starting recording the show, Todd Frazier is coming back imminently. Um, I think... My my theory on this is that I think that the Mets are waiting until after this Phillies series is over because the bullpen is so decimated and they needed that extra pitcher, which is why Drew Gagnon is here and he's logging many innings tonight. Um, yeah,
4: I think if this had been a normal game and Drew Gagnon was still around, he that Fraser could have been up as early as tomorrow, but or in podcast time today, but. Um, I, I mean, there's no way they can't keep Gagnon on the team. They're going to have to send him down for another pitcher. Like, it's, it's definitely going to be kicked down the line a little bit, I think. Yeah, well, they're waiting
3: they- for the Thursday off day, I think, to get that bullpen some rest. Oh, that's what I was going to say. They haven't had an off day.
0: They've had, you know, Vargas not make it out of the first inning. You know, Jake and Thor didn't go deep. So the bullpen has been getting relied on heavily, so... You do kind of need fresh arms, whether they're good arms remains to be seen. <laughs> but
3: at least they're physical bodies out there. And apparently, we're not allowed to use Edwin Diaz more than three outs, so <laughs> we have no you choice. Can. We need to. He can only pitchers. be used for three outs, but they have to be the exact
4: save situation outs, or the world will explode. I, I don't know. I this this bugs me because I'm totally down with the idea of needing to to preserve his use but like if you're gonna then turn around and be super dogmatic about it and ignore like the math of appropriate times to use your relief face then Then I just I just have to, like, throw my hands up in the air because it drives me crazy.
0: Well, you're handcuffing your your manager too. like, oh, I don't have my best pitcher available to me. What do I do? And we saw what he did and it wasn't great. And it went 11 innings, which, again, further taxed the bullpen. Like, yeah, you still won the game, but you could have won the game in nine innings instead of 11. So I don't know. And then now you're just broadcasting that to all the other teams. We're not going to use Diaz until the ninth, So that helps them with their strategy. Well, they shouldn't have won that game either. Like, that
4: was... (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) They got so many breaks to actually come out on top of Tuesday's game. Like, that was... They stole that win big time.
3: Yeah. And, like, to me, the most troubling thing about this is that we are um, midway through April... And Brody Van Wagenen is already out there in press conferences defending things that Mickey Calloway has done as, you know, organizational like philosophy, which to me, that says one of two things that either says that Mickey Calloway's screw ups are so monumental that Brody Van Wagenen is falling on the sword for him and saying, no, the Mets have decided that this is the way it is. Or that's Um, actually their organizational philosophy. Right. worse, Or, yeah, it's actually their organizational philosophy, which means that. Brody Van Wagenen doesn't trust Mickey Calloway to manage, and either of those two situations are not good situations to me. Like you can't stand out there and not let your manager manage and give him all these constraints. <laughs> it's not. Although it, once again,
4: Mickey Calloway can make all the right moves. Rob Gazelman has to be able to get a damn out. Jerry's familiar like, as well.
2: <laughs> yes, Ugh.
4: like that. They. I'm not. I'm not giving Mickey a pass for what I. Considered to be some fairly significant flaws in his approach recently, but he's putting guys out there and they are giving him nothing. Like, I, I you cannot blame Mickey Callaway for Stephen Matz not being able to record an out today. Correct.
0: Well, even in my recap from yesterday's game, I specifically wrote from pitch one, j Rays Familia had nothing. Like you could just see it, and yeah. but I mean. He does eventually have to get out, but he also gave him quite a long leash, too. It never should have got... Like, after McNeil got the lucky double play, I would have been like, you know what? We lucked out. Familia, okay, you're gone. Like, Gazelman was already warming up at that point. He should have been ready at that point. So just test your luck from there instead of bringing Gazelman in with the bases loaded with no room for error.
3: Yeah, it's just... It's a situation where, you know... Managerial mishaps combined with the fact that almost no one in that bullpen outside of Edwin Diaz is reliable at this point. point,'s troubling. um I mean Seth Lugo's looked a lot better. There's my guy, Seth Lugo <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looked a lot better um but you know it's, eventually these dudes are going to have to get out and I like and even if even if the Mets miraculously signed Kimbrel tomorrow, he's not going to fix everything like th- it's not going to magically make this bullpen a great bullpen. It'll help. But other dudes still have to step up um, and we're screwed if they don't, no matter how many <laughs> no matter how many Pete Alonzo dongs we hit. Um, you know, the, the the bullpen really needs to step up in the starting pitching, too. They need to go deeper into games to not tax this pen. Um, that's the reality. And Thor needs to step up. Jake needs to step up. We need to start getting something more akin to the pitching we saw last year, which if we get anything close to 2017, I mean, 2018 pitching, even even 2018 bullpen, which was not good a lot of the time, we could win a lot of ball games. Yeah, I mean, you have to, like, I'm not saying that this is a
4: positive, but you'd have to think that the last week of Mets pitching, it doesn't get much worse than that. And I realize, Hope like... <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I, heard it when I said it like I'm, I'm jinxing the hell out of everything. But you've got your top guys just bluffing all over the place, and everyone else literally unplayable. And that's just you're not going to get that every turn around the rotation. Now, maybe not everyone gets it together, but if even one person gets it together, then already we're starting to get a little relief, which is not to say that this isn't a problem that needs to be addressed from an external manner. Like, they can't just keep going and wait for everybody to get their act together. But I I do think that what we're seeing is probably the worst
0: we're going to see for a while. But this is also, there's no room for wiggle room. Like, okay, you punt every Vargas start, but then there's no wiggle room for anybody else to struggle. Like, you expected Jake to, you know, Go six seven he didn't now that's snowballing on you now Matts doesn't go then Syndergaard only went what five yesterday five or six so uh, now yeah five just like Jake did so it's the snowball effect like just because you punt on one start doesn't mean it doesn't affect everybody else down the road
4: I mean you've got to go back pretty far just to get the ratio of starter innings to relief innings to even hit up one-to-one like it's that's how bad the starting pitching has been for a while
0: now yeah yeah pretty much from the start of the year
3: yep yeah yeah and I mean you know I'm not ready to spell doom yet by any means um like Maggie said it's you know it's hard to imagine given the talent that we have um even though the the back end of that bullpen and not not the back end is in Edwin Diaz the ass end <laughs> as in the, the low <laughs> on the totem pole guys end um Even though that part part of the bullpen is, you know, we knew that was an issue going in. But, you know, given the talent that we have on this roster on paper, it's borderline impossible to believe that it's going to be much worse than this. Um, And if the pitching can step up even just a little bit, um, this lineup can support that. If the pitching, if the staff ERA can just lower itself by like a run, we're scoring six runs a game on average. If the staff ERA is four runs a game on average then that's, you know, a really good start. Um, and we can continue to win a lot of ball games. So, you know, pitching, problem, sign Geiko <laughs> Now. Please, please, um, please, do it now. Kimbrough, We're begging. both, let's do something. Um, and, you know, this team can keep rolling along. Um, and so, and that- in the
4: meantime, just, like, what what do you guys, just real quick, like, what do you guys do when Frazier gets back? Because he's going to be back real soon. So where where is he going? You can't bench. bench McNeil. Yeah.
3: you can't bench McNeil. You gotta bench. No, you him, cannot basically. bench McNeil. No. You gotta bench Frazier. I mean, he's...
4: yeah. Well, I mean, but Frazier should be on the bench anyway. But like, I'm also wondering, is J D Davis the one to go? And I hate to see it because right now he's he's really hitting well, but also he's got he's got options.
3: Yeah. he can work on
4: his defense. Like, yeah, I I mean. I don't think he's a three hundred hitter for all time, so maybe he is the guy that takes that hit. And
0: okay. then Frazier becomes an expensive bench piece too. Like you're paying him, but that's fine. I don't care yeah. about like I, well, I, we might not care, but the Wilpons might care. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care what they think,
4: <laughs> but I do think um, Frazier is a good bench piece. Yes, he can. He yeah. can can play at first. He can play third. He's the kind of bat that you don't hate to bring up late in the game because he can kinda get on base or, or give you some power if that's what you need. He's decent defender. Like I'm not, you know, champing at the bit for Todd Frazier but like he is the kind of player that a lot of good teams have on their bench.
0: What he should not be is the backup shortstop. <laughs> I don't know who thought that was a good idea.
3: Just make McNeil the backup shortstop. It's so silly. But I mean, you know, um J.D. Davis, yeah. Like, J.D. Davis becomes, you know, redundant once Todd Frazier is back. They're essentially the same type of player. Um, But I have a feeling that when Todd Frazier comes back, they're going to send back down the extra pitcher. J.D. Davis will stay on the team for the time being. I don't know which of them is going to get more playing time, um, but it's going to be a contest between the two of them, probably like a hot hand situation. And then once – Lowry returns as well then that's when I think JD Davis's roster spot is in serious jeopardy
4: the other option is Frazier could definitely be moved I think if he is reasonably productive and the team is willing to eat some money on a deal like I mean look over over in the Bronx they are like throwing fans in for the cleanup spot because they have just so many injuries piled up on top of each other. And I could definitely see a matchup there where Fraser goes back for, for it doesn't even need to be a big piece, just like a prospect that could maybe be flipped for some pitching at some point later. But you know, that's, that's the other possibility is, but you know, Fraser's going to have to hit for that to work out. So yeah.
3: And like, hope I, he's feeling good. Yeah. And the, The problem with that is, and like, I, I'm in favor of, you know, shopping him around too if, if we continue to need the pitching help and we continue to have this roster crunch and someone else isn't hurt by the time we need Frazier. Um, but I think that the problem with that is you run into the same problem as you run into with Dominic Smith, who a lot of people are saying, you know, now he's a good trade chip because, you know, Pete Alonso worked out and he's hitting well. But like, you have to play them enough to, Showcase them for a trade, and the Mets, you know, are in a roster crunch in the first place, and so it becomes like you know, you're between a rock and a hard place because you're not playing them enough to get any sort of value back in trade. If
4: Fraser could just hit a home run at every single pinch hitting opportunity, that would be really convenient. So, Todd, if you're listening, do me a favor do that thing. No pressure, Todd,
0: Todd. just it no comes up
3: and you know having too many good players is never a bad thing we <laughs> you know we maybe it is i don't know i've never had that problem yeah. No, this is a new feeling this is a new feeling and it's good it's good and if you know they either become integral parts of the team when we need them because other players go down or other players are ineffective or they become really good trade ships so this is a good problem to have it's good we are not complaining about the return of todd frazier it's good so yes, welcome um back todd welcome back, Todd. (laughs) So that uh, brings us to our conclusion of our Mets segment um, for the week. So um, when we come back, enjoy a fantastic interview with our very first guest, Meredith Wills. And we're going to talk all about science, juice baseballs, and even some knitting. So stay tuned.
2: Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
3: All right, welcome back. We are joined for the second part of the show by Dr. Meredith Wills. She is a PhD. Um, She has her PhD in physics from Montana State University, and she has taken her fantastic scientific expertise and knowledge to the world of baseball. Um, And you all, our listeners, may know her best from the article that she published in The Athletic back in 2018 um, about the difference between the uh, baseballs in 2018 and previous years. Um, so I want to start off the show just by, you know, having you talk, Meredith, a little bit about um that study that you did on those baseballs and what you found.
1: Okay, well, uh hi guys. Uh so it was in a way it's turned into an ongoing study. The original had to do with, you know, like everybody else, I was interested in finding uh the cause of the home run surge. And in particular, I thought that it might have something to do with the structure or the construction of the baseball itself. Uh, there is, in fact, historical precedent for changing the ball, and changing the ball changes the way that it travels. Uh, what I found, for the most part, was that if you looked at balls from before 2015 and then after 2015, that was kind of the, the cutoff that... Uh, in fact, uh, Dr. Alan Nathan, who was the chair of the Home Run Committee, uh, MLB's Home Run Committee, had sort of shown that uh, earlier in 2017. Uh, what I found was that in general, the balls were the same. And then as sort of a as happens in science, as a an almost missed it last minute uh, measurement, I realized that the thickness of the laces between the two samples seem to be different. And so what I discovered was in fact, for the later balls, the post 2015 balls, the laces are about 9% thicker. So this was right around when the home run committee came out and said, oh yeah, by the way, the only thing that we can use to account for the home run surge, the only thing that's different is the aerodynamics of the baseball, but we can't find any differences in the baseball which of course I'm you know, sitting here going, oh my God, oh my God, I've found a difference in the baseball. So I was able to get my article out within about two weeks of them releasing their results that at least showed a physical difference. Um, what that morphed into was trying to understand why thicker laces, which seems like you'd get more drag, um, actually led to a ball with less drag. And so there was a second Article that I did in the fall, where I looked at basically the spherical symmetry of the two sets of baseballs, and the the premise there uh, was that the laces themselves are actually cotton, and this this turns out. I know we're going to cut into crafty stuff at some point, so it turns (laughs) out that it's related to that um if you have any experience working in fiber arts uh you know that cotton when it gets wet if it's stretched and air dries it stays stretched this is why you throw your t-shirts in the dryer is so they shrink back to their size before you wore them and um what thinner laces are going to do is they're going to stretch more so that means that your the seams themselves become sort of a weak point on the ball in terms of it deforming away from being spherical. So thinner laces, because the laces get wet during the manufacturing process and then they air dry, they're going to stretch slightly further, which means you get a larger deformation around the seams. And so I looked at, you know, essentially what amounted to bulging around the seams and found that of my large, now larger sample of balls from before 2015, every single one of them showed bulging at the seams, as opposed to the balls that I had from after 2015, where a much, some of them showed no bulging, the ones that did showed a much smaller amount. um, And that to me looks like it's, that's basically where the drag difference is coming in. So essentially the like, thicker laces are quite literally forcing the ball to stay rounder mm. because it looks like they're
0: moving they're further
4: away from the dead ball era where you were basically playing baseball with like a beanbag and now yeah. you know it's it's just it's holding its
1: form yeah. more. Um yeah that that's, that seems to be the case. I mean I'm um one thing that uh you know I'm, I'm open to suggestions on this that I'm discovering, and ironically it does get back to the crafty stuff as well, is um, that the balls from 2016 and even more from 2017 in my sample seem to be less, how, the leather is less pliable. You know, I've taken all these balls apart and that leather seems to want to keep its shape for whatever reason. So, you know, when we get into the, gee, what cool things can you do with leftover baseball leather? It turns out it's very hard to flatten the leather from a 2017 baseball Hmm. compared to (laughs) pre-2015. And kind of went, oh, okay, that's interesting. I have no idea why. It doesn't seem to be thicker. Um, It just seems to be less pliable. Uh, In fact, I've actually reached out to the chair of the Home Run Committee Asking if there may have been a change in the tanning process mm. at some point, but I need to figure out how to quantify that.
3: Right. Yeah, I was, I mean, thinking, you, I was just thinking yeah. about
1: that, like thickness yeah. or pliability. It's yeah, it's
4: and it yeah. would kind of it that would almost but make it, sense too because it could be something that happens ac- almost accidentally because the I mean, MLB has been pretty clear that they they're sticking to the story that they didn't change anything on purpose yes. and certainly like just messing with the general structure of the ball to make it you know by some measures better like a Mm -hmm. firmer rounder ball is you know something that could just happen like oh whoops now all of a sudden you know we've got a 14 and a half home run percent home run per fly fly ball rate and that's a yeah yeah, big difference Mm
1: -hmm. and it it does even sound like the, uh, the laces um, suppliers have not necessarily been consistent. And I'm still trying to get mm-hmm. more information on this, but I have sort of, you know, let's call it just, you know, hearsay conversational information that, quote, a few years ago, they're, they changed their primary laces supplier. I keep thinking, gee, I wonder if it was around 2015. Know, but <laughs> the person I was talking to said he'd have to go back and check his notes.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh. It is
4: nice when things line up. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. So what a surprise.
3: The other thing so. that, um, that these, you know, different baseballs have seemed to had a, have an effect on besides home runs is pitchers are getting more blisters. Um, can you comment on? if you know anything that you found about the baseball um if that could contribute to it and how
1: actually there is i'm in the process of i hope getting this written up because it's actually some of the most recent work i've done um i mean it makes sense that you would have um the thicker laces are i should start by differentiating between what i would call lace, you can call it lace height. I I like the word proudness because it's how far the laces stick out above the leather.
3: Mm,
1: Yeah. And how that's different from seam height. What seam height has to do with is how much leather gets squeezed in under the laces. So basically if the cover is a little larger, when they pull the laces tight, the seam kind of bulges up. Mm. If the cover's smaller, the laces are lying lower, hence the seam is not as high. Um, what I did was able to do though was go through and literally look at the. This is this is how completely over the top I like. It's it's OCD at this point. I swear. Um, <laughs> going through and measuring the depth of the groove, the leather grooves that the laces sit in. And what I found was that across the board, the grooves within the leather seem to be about the same. Uh, It seems, as far as I can tell, to have to do with the compressibility of the leather rather than, say, the thickness of the laces. So what that, once you take into account, it's pretty easy math. It's the, you know, here's the thickness of the lace. You subtract out the depth of the leather, the leather groove. And whatever's left over is the proudness is what's sticking out above the leather. Right. And it's still a very small number. I mean, we're talking like a fraction of a millimeter, a small fraction of a millimeter. But that small fraction of a millimeter turns out to be something like 25% higher. Right. Pre-2015 to post-2015, which if you think about it, is comparable to like a heavier grade of sandpaper. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So if someone is already prone to blisters, it's going to be worse you know, it's, it's, there's no way it can be better. Uh, and it's, it's more thinking in terms of percentages than absolute numbers, which I have a feeling is where a lot of the, um, the miscommunication, let's say that MLB has had with the, you know, the baseball community at large, as far as nothing's changed with the ball. Well, the, the absolute numbers you know, the, the physical thickness of the lace has changed, you know, uh, maybe, yeah, again, a fraction of a millimeter. However, it's changed 9%. The uh, proudness of the laces above the leather has changed an even smaller fraction of a millimeter. However, that's 25%. And so thinking in terms of percentages as opposed to in terms of absolute numbers, which in them of themselves seem very small, is, I think, where some of this is falling down in terms of, you know, convincing people that the ball is different and that difference is having an
0: effect.
3: Yeah, it has, you know, amplified downstream effects from a subtle difference. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Mm -hmm. Hi, Meredith. It's Lynn. Um, I was wondering if you got any feedback from your study from anybody within the baseball community, because um, pitchers had been outspoken about it causing blisters. I think Marcus Strobin was one. So I know Neil deGrasse Tyson gave you a shout out, but did anybody within the community, the baseball community react to your study in any way?
1: I don't, uh, I have no official statements is basically all that I can say. Uh, there, well, that's there very has, interesting. Been, there yeah. has been, uh, there has been since the first report came out, the only, Official comment I had was before the article was released, this is the one in June, from uh, Alan Nathan, the chair of the MLB Home Run Committee, uh, saying that, "quotes there might be something to this. Uh, I did contact MLB, and what they said when they found that I had a comment from Dr. Nathan said, fine, that's our statement, and I have nothing since then
0: interesting
4: well really looking forward to hearing updates because obviously we're we're in the midst of of a wild season right now and so mm-hmm. i think there's some really good good nappy goodness to come so
1: oh i can't yeah.
0: wait <laughs> Yeah, i think baseball perspectives just released something saying that the home run rates are even higher this year than they were in 2017 when the record, every record seemed to be falling. Um, do you think there's something different this year than there was in 2017? Because there was a bit of a dip last year. So what could have possibly changed in between these two huge home run surges?
1: Well, what what I think probably led to the dip and to some extent to what's going on now. Um, in fact, I'm starting to think if I, if I could get a, a supply of, of dated baseballs going back i 'm um, starting to think that because there have been fluctuations in home runs, not quite this dramatic, but there you do see spikes occasionally over the last few decades you know where one season will stand out a little more and I am starting to wonder the extent to which it is actually supply turnover or you know, just very subtle construction things um, so if i have not yet had a chance to go through and do any say laces thickness measurements for 2018, but uh, they they would have had enough time to go through all the supplies they had and buy new ones. And so it's entirely possible that that is exactly the same thing that's happened and the laces are slightly thinner and that what becomes interesting about this season was in 2018 the home runs were down but nobody had any inkling of why the home runs had been up in the first place. All the studies for 2017 were published in 2018.
3: Mm, yeah.
1: So it's a, it's a, it, the ch- a change in home runs is a fluke in 2018. I've been waiting, you know, basically since last year to see what was going to happen this season, because now people know that the difference was the ball and they know from my work, what the difference was and how that difference would have caused a change in drag. Uh, so I had expected that the home run rates were going to go down oh. because of the pitcher blister issues. This is not what I expected. <laughs> Although-
0: <considering, laughs> Yeah, this is the
1: opposite. Well, no, but, but considering a statement uh, that uh, Rob, not remembering the name of the publication, I know Michael Kay did the interview- um, with Rob Manfred about some of the testing that they're doing in the Atlantic League,
3: um,
1: mm, yeah. you we've heard about some of this, you know, where yeah. they want things like larger bases. I mean, some of it makes sense, you know, the idea of for having a pitcher face three batters when he comes in, that sounds fine. Larger bases, I don't understand, but one that they were also talking about was moving the mound back two feet. And Michael Kay doing the interview said, "Well, wait a minute, isn't that going to lead to more pitcher injuries?" Mm-hmm. and Commissioner Manfred's response was, that's why we're doing it in the Atlantic League.
4: Ooh. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, cringe exactly. good look. Uh
1: Based on that, that attitude towards pitcher welfare, I'm, it wouldn't surprise me to discover that, in fact, the laces are thicker, noticeably thicker, and I assume someone from MLB has read my articles. this time they would know they would be aware of the fact that that had an effect. So, you know, um, it just, it, it mostly shows I, I do not have the data. I have requests for baseballs, lots of requests for baseballs. Uh, I should have some coming in. Uh, but in fact, this is one of the first things that, uh, as as soon as I start getting them, I am going to start uh, doing all sorts of measurements and should have lots and lots of data. Um, But, yeah, uh, something – I'm sure something is different with the ball again. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, we're really excited to see because I think not only is baseball aware of it, but the whole, like, you know, baseball community and fans are aware of it, too. So now we know that mm-hmm. something else might be coming. i are really excited to see it. So I'm yeah. going to shift gears um, now mm-hmm. and ask you about, um, you know, we've talked on the on this podcast before about the parallels that at least I see as also a woman in science, um, the parallels between Being a woman in science and women in STEM careers and women in baseball careers where, you know, you see a lot of women at the lower levels, you know, sort of in the case of STEM, you know, at the graduate student level or, you know, in the case of baseball, like the intern level in front offices. But the higher you go up, the fewer and fewer women that there are. Um, and I was wondering if you had any comments about that and what your experience um, straddling these two worlds has been like and where you see similar things between being a woman in STEM and being a woman in baseball and where you see like differences.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had um, my, my specialty was um, solar physics or solar astrophysics. And in fact, I had um, a lot of very good mentors. Uh, I, I, Strangely enough, my, the the people who were the most um, disparaging of any career hopes I had were all my female professors. Mm.
3: Uh,
1: they, they were, they were very averse, I think, to anyone who was somehow not being forced to run the gauntlet that they had. And yeah. so they actually made it harder mm-hmm. on their female students, I thought. Um, but I had, I had a lot of really good mentors and I ended up in solar physics, uh, partly just that was literally the research job I got my first or second month in my freshman year of college, which was astonishing. Um, It's it's funny how often your early experiences sort of lead to your career. But it also turns out that just astrophysics generally just does not have a lot of data to share. Mm, And so it is a very cutthroat situation once you get outside the solar system. The one thing the sun does not lack is data. There are a lot of photons (laughs) and there's just a lot going on. Um, And so it meant that the community, which is not a very large community, was much more inclusive. And for whatever reason, there also seemed to be a lot more high level women who were much, who didn't see other women as a threat, I guess. And so Mm -hmm. I ended up with not my direct mentors, but sort of indirect mentors. As women, and in fact, the the research group before I shifted into sports, uh, it was in fact the same research group I'd worked in as an undergrad, and then I got to come back as a grown up with my own postdocs and students. It was kind of fun, you know. And I so I was one of the came back as one of the more senior scientists, but we were fifty percent women, yeah. and I think solar physics is probably planetary science might also. Be that way, but those are really the only. This the closer you get to the Earth, the more gender parity you seem to see in in <laughs> astrophysics. I'm not. I, I'm serious. Yeah, no, um And and um, you know, so I never ran into issues gender-wise because you know I, I think on purpose because I chose to stay in a field where. I wanted to collaborate. I didn't want to be cutthroat. And I'm still like that. Um, what I have found in, certainly in baseball, um, and I guess it it helps that I have been a baseball, I mean, the, tried out the story. I was born on opening day. I was three weeks old when my dad <laughs> took me to my first baseball game, you know. Uh, it's in Steve the blood. It was pitching. It was Philly's game. I've, I've been told this. I have the baseball bat that my My dad gave me the day I was born. I mean, you know, I was raised in this game. I became an astrophysicist in college. Um, But by virtue of being raised in the game, you know, as a fan, and then I've been an official scorer in in some capacity since high school, um, I'm enough of a baseball person where even when I was first getting into baseball, uh, I never Felt like gender was an issue with the people I was speaking with, and a lot of my earliest mentors in the game uh, were actually scouts, and in some cases retired scouts. Uh, Larry DiMato, who I think has just retired from SMWW, was one of my very fir- first mentors, and again, and he's got these stories. Like he knew Branch Ricky. I mean he goes way, <laughs> wow. way back. Yeah. And um, but he's just ended up being one of my strongest advocates. And, you know, he introduced me to people like, you know, Pat Gillick, and, and uh really, really made an effort to make sure I met a lot of people. Um and so I guess I never had because I knew the game and it was clear I knew the game, people seemed to look beyond the fact that. I hadn't played and that, you know, and honestly, even if I'd been a guy, I would have been a terrible ball player. So <laughs> that's not an issue. But um yeah. The only the only time I've run into any problems has actually been with college.
3: Mm.
1: And uh college coaches, I think it's because they hang out with college boys. <laughs> yeah. Um and that's so uh, I that's probably enough said on that subject. <laughs> Fair. So
4: well, I can't let this interview go without one quick question i um Mm -hmm. i admit before i even knew that you were a brilliant astrophysicist writing about baseball um i knew that you were a brilliant knitwear designer um and (laughs) so i have to just know what is on the
1: needles right now um i'm actually staring at a very boring sock um i'm not kidding actually in fact I, i i had about five inches of it done Earlier today, I looked at it. I said, gee, that looks too big and measured oh, it no. and realized it. And so ripped the whole thing out. And so now it's only about a half inch in.
2: But yeah, I have the... so many
1: projects on needles that What's... I, yeah, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, i just it doesn't a whole just... new patterns. Oh, I'll be watching days, Ravelry. So we'll
4: yep. Um, so. And we mentioned it really quickly earlier, but um, mm-hmm. I just want to make sure all of our listeners, and we'll link this in the show post as well, um, your Etsy site with all of the leftover baseball bits and pieces that you have, uh, you've put together. Um, I think you're all sold out of the keychain, so I'm one of the lucky ones keychains. in that. There's
1: there will be more keychains,
4: but watches, bracelets, hair clips, and they're all just made out of literal baseballs, and it's it's so cool, and it's such a great idea that you came up with. And I think all baseball fans should be heading over there just to get something very
1: like tactile and and very cool. Yep, and every everything that's on there is something that is, it's either been used for charitable work with the Hall of Fame, uh, or it's literally been used for the research we were just talking about. So every single item that's up there is documented as to this is what it was part of.
3: Wow, that's so amazing. Uh, that's yeah, I'll fantastic. definitely be checking that out. <laughs> Yeah. So thank you so, so much, Meredith, for your time, for coming on today. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, tell all of our listeners where they can find you on social media.
1: Let's see. I'm on. OK, they're going to have to go to your site to get the spelling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll have you covered not, on the that. Spelling is not great, but I'm on Twitter at it's essentially a contraction of baseball astrophysics. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on Ravelry. As Rockies fan, if you happen to be somebody who is into knitting. Um, and you should be. Knitting is wonderful and it goes very well with baseball. So, yeah, anyone. I, I am in the Baseball Hall of Fame for knitting and I am doing some ongoing collaborations uh, with the Hall of Fame. In fact, another one where I'm on, uh, uh, I guess, it's social media is I have a blog that is H O F Knitter, Hall of Fame Knitter dot blogspot.com where I am doing a stitch-by-stitch reproduction of a sweater that Ty Cobb donated to the Hall of Fame in the twenties. It's almost done. (laughs) (laughs) But I've been documenting the process with that same sort of OCD that I seem to have with everything related to baseball. So um that's another one people might enjoy.
3: Wow. So thank you so much, the amazingly multi-talented Dr. Meredith Wills. Yes, Um, thank you. Thank Thank you you so much much. for coming on.
2: This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com.
3: All right. We are back with our final segment of the show that we are calling Walk-Off Wins, where each of us talks about what is making us happy this week. So, Linda, let's start with you. What is your walk-off win for this week?
0: Well, we kind of mentioned it at the top of the show, um, but my walk-off win this week is Pete Alonso, because he if the Mets had played the uh, service time game, he would have just made his debut over the weekend. And think of everything we would have missed. Um, He wouldn't have face the nationals he wouldn't face the marlins yes the marlins are you know not that great but that's still a division rival that you need to beat if you want to um go far in the season um and he did well he held his own he's looks fantastic he's been fun to watch so you know kudos to him because there was a lot of pressure coming in if he come up and struggled The takes would have been coming like, oh, oh, the Mets wasted a year of service time and he's awful looking. They should have just sent him down. So but there was a lot of pressure for him to perform because this isn't the norm. And he did. He thrived and he made the team fun. He makes them exciting. His at bats are must watch, or at least it's getting there. Um, The home run he hit the other day against Atlanta into the fountain, like I didn't even know there was a fountain out there and he found it.
4: Polar
3: Bear plunge. Um, Polar that, Bear was plunge. The
4: bigger, that was the biggest home run I've seen. I've seen at that stadium, like since they opened a couple of years ago.
3: Yeah, that like, was
4: absolutely the biggest one I've seen.
0: Like his his whole hits are jaw dropping, and it just makes it fun to see what he can do and so you know kudos to him for you know not buckling under the pressure he seems confident he seems to want to be in the situations he seems to want to improve he's worked hard at it he's done everything the Mets have asked and you know so good for him Uh, congratulations on a great start to your career Pete and congratulations to the Mets too who actually did something right which they very rarely do. So when they do, we should acknowledge it and, you know, thank you for, you know, at least making the first part of the season fun.
3: We love Big Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in
0: short, we love Big Pete.
3: Um. So Maggie, what is your walk-off win for this week? Uh. So my walk-off
0: win is a little
4: bit of baseball, a little personal. um, And that is that, little league season debut uh this past weekend so um i i live in a neighborhood in manhattan called inwood and it is so deadly serious about its little league but in a wonderful way like it's a very it's it's a very positive place to have a little kid they they expect kids to be kids and there's no winning there's no i mean at this age anyway there's no like Shouting at your kids—it's all—it's all really supportive and wonderful, and it's the whole neighborhood just gets so into it. Um, on opening day, which was Saturday, they shut down like half the streets, and they do a legit parade with like a marching band. And our congressman was there, and just going through like the whole neighborhood, um, and it's just really wonderful. And I'm so excited to have my son back for his second year. Um, He is repeating a level because he was extremely young the first time and it showed, but, but he's really excited and it's just great to watch the kids. It's great to watch the coaches too, who are just like, they love baseball and they get kids so well. And, you know, I think there, there will be some crying in baseball, make no mistake, but, um, but yeah, it's just, it's a great, totally different side of the game that I'm really excited. I get to enjoy.
3: Yeah, it's really fun to watch, you know, the next generation of, uh, you know, future major league players play. It's it's really fun to watch how excited kids get about baseball. Watching kids, like, unabashedly excited about a thing you love is one of the most, you know, rewarding experiences ever. So I am all for that walk-off win. Um my walk-off win this week um, is that it was recently announced by Anthony DeComo, um, Mets beat writer, um, on Twitter that um, he and David Wright will be writing a new book, which I am so excited to read a book by David Wright about his career. I can't wait for that book to drop. Um those of you who don't know me that well, I, in addition to loving science and baseball, I am also a voracious reader. Um, we seem to be full of book nerds um, in at Amazing Avenue and on the on the pod. Um, we have our fair share of librarians, besides just Linda. Um, we have multiple other librarians as part of our Mason Avenue staff um, and many people who love books and love reading. Um, and I love reading and I love reading about baseball. Um, so I'm really, really excited for this David Wright book. Um, it's going to be, you know, I'm probably going to cry on every page. There's going to be tear-stained pages every page. <laughs> um, but I'm just really excited for that book to come out. It's not coming out till like fall 2020 or something like
0: that.
4: It is so... not yet available for pre-order I checked.
0: Yeah, that didn't stop me from looking at the book supplier for libraries too. I also
3: checked. <laughs> Gonna order a million copies for the library. Um, but yeah, so I'm just I'm just really excited about the David Wright book. Now it's kind of like anticlimactic because I have to wait over a year for it. But I'm still super psyched um, that it was announced and that he'd be writing a book. It's titled Captain. I know. Jeez, like as if that I just cried when I read that. Wasn't already a punch in the gut. <laughs> So if that is any indication of things to come, it's going to be an emotional ride to read that book, but I'm excited and I I can't wait to do it. And I'm going to love every minute of it, no matter how hard I cry. So um, that is my walk-off one for this week is soon the words of David Wright will be in book form about his career to hit um, bookstores and libraries everywhere, (laughs) fall 2020. So look out for that. Um, In the meantime, uh, while you're waiting with bated breath for the David Wright book, um, you can go to AmazonAvenue.com and keep reading all of our fantastic Mets content. Um, We've got our big piece from Linda, along with some fantastic other pieces. We're doing recaps. Um, Like I said last week, the recaps are in full force now for every game. Um, We're talking, we're doing analysis on the Mets pitching, the Mets hitting situation, the Mets roster situation with Todd Frazier returning. Um, Michael Drago did a fantastic piece about that. Um, So, yeah, keep an eye out for all of our fantastic content. You can follow Mason Avenue on Twitter facebook and instagram at amazing avenue you can follow our show um, at a pot of their own on twitter um you can email the show own at gmail.com you can follow each of us on twitter i am at petite phd where are you maggie maggie 162 and how about you linda at linda surovich beautiful um so follow the show on twitter follow all of us on twitter look to amazing avenue for more fantastic content um and we will be in your podcast feeds again next wednesday let's go mets and don't forget there is no crying